please be seated. Our scripture lesson this morning is the conclusion of last week's text, the one in which John is proclaimed as the voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord, to lift the valleys and make the mountains low and the crooked straight and the rough ways smooth. He continues. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees, Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds ask him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? He said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threat or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah. John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thongs of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Let's pray. Bless, O Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Are you happy? Everyone will not have that answer. Did you know that there is such a thing as a joy initiative? Yes, in fact, there is a United Nations International Day of Happiness. Started in 2012, and this year... Four persons chosen from around the world were honored and celebrated for the joy that they bring to others' lives. Johnny Barnes, who died in 2016, was 93 when he passed away, lived in Bermuda, but for the last 40 years of his life, 
went to the downtown little roundabout where most folks passed through on their way to work. He would get there at four o'clock in the morning and wave for five or six hours. Tourists would stop and get their photos made with them and he often prayed for them. Folks ask where he got his strength and his stamina and he would say it was from reading his Bible and his relationship with God and his desire to share God's joy. As he became frail, his wife at 88 started driving him. <laughs> then they put up a rail around the roundabout so that he could have something to hold on to and still wave. And then when that wasn't adequate, they built him a bench. Now there's a statue with its hand raised high. The secret to his joy, God reading his scripture and serving the Lord with what he had. Much of our lives seems to be taken up with figuring out how to be happy or at least how to have enough to be happy, although we're not terribly sure what enough looks like. Happiness can feel fleeting and even elusive at times in our lives. Such is the hunger for happiness in our world that there's tons of research about it read an article this week by a Dr. Nancy Clark who has described nine simple steps to happiness. She says there's solid research behind this stuff. All right, I'll bite. She says put your happiness on autopilot. In other words, 40% of our life is spent just doing things we normally do. You brush your teeth, you don't think about anything. She says, well, if you're brushing your teeth, fill up your autopilot with grateful thoughts. Okay. <laughs> she says, adopt the, the sense that you're good enough is all right instead of perfect. Good enough can be just great for those of you who are perfectionists. Give it a try. She also says choosing your friends is terribly important. You know, all of us at a point in our life have had friends that kind of zapped us of our energy, took the life out of us. She says zap those saps. <laughs> Sounds biblical. It raises the question of where you spend your money. Well, we've all enjoyed buying a new car or a television or something and known that as soon as the car was dented, it was just the car. So they're suggesting to spend your money on experiences with friends. Not a bad idea. 
random acts of kindness. That's number nine. She says not only can that random little act, as if it's not a part of your nature, can somehow boost your experience of happiness and impacts the person you're supporting and, and maybe those who are watching will pass it on along. Is it any wonder with a list like that that happiness is hard to find and even harder to keep for it's based on how we feel and not terribly much on who we are. Is it why when the Christmas lights have been put away, our happiness seems to fade as if somehow we've packed it away with the decorations? John would explain this dilemma to us. Now, I know that this text doesn't sound like a box of chocolate. It doesn't sound fun. Repentance and the way John puts it out there is hard to imagine he's talking about our joy. He is wound up. His eyes are on fire and his words are not only measured but they are demanding. He expects his audience to bear fruit worthy of repentance. He spouts, just because you're a child of Abraham doesn't make you right with God. Every tree that isn't producing fruit, well, it should be cut down. And by the way, if God needed children, these rocks could do. Well, let's just say he got their attention. En masse, they say, well, well what must we do? Three groups, the crowd, the tax collectors, and the soldiers all want to know. And John comes back with a very practical answer. Care for the needy. Practice truth and justice. Now notice he says absolutely nothing about church service, temple worship, or figuring out the last time you had temple sacrifice. There are no auto-habit opportunities, no friend zapping, no random little acts of kindness. John is calling us to be the child of God, not just a child of Abraham, a Christian, a member of the church. It doesn't do us any good if it's not producing the love of Christ. Might as well be cut down and burned. Examination and repentance are required. And that, he says, leads to what we should do. And what we should do will walk you right through the door of joy. Most people will agree with Anne Frank, who wrote, we all live with the objective of being happy. Happy is nice. But if you want something bigger, 
less ambiguous, more stable, more lasting, grounded like joy. Then Percy Shelley says, the soul's joy lies in doing. It's not about feeling. Joy lies in doing. So what are you doing that makes a difference not only in your joy, but in the lives of others as you generate it? If you can't currently answer that question, let me offer you some assurance this morning that there's good news and help to figure it out. For John, the challenge really begins with whether or not God has become an inside job. It's not about who you are or where you grow up or your church that you attend, but really it's the cleaning out of all the clutter in our lives that makes room for God's love to indwell within us, to produce that fruit of repentance. Not once does John question their religiosity. Richard Rohr writes this, one of Jesus' greatest contributions to our understanding of God was that he moved our location for God's presence from the outer church into the inner place, location of God's presence, where the heart resides from temple to heart, from observer, participant, worshiper, to a decided and determined examined life that is driven by the love of God on behalf of others. War concludes, when I am the temple where God resides, then the only sacrifice required is myself. And I would add, then my joy can be full. When we see John addressing these very practical groups of persons, the community, the tax collectors, the soldiers, what he's asking is that their outside lives begin to match their inside values that call them to a faithful witness. And as a result, they will bear their fruit worthy of repentance. It'll be evidenced in their behavior. John's simple message reminds us that salvation reaches down into the ordinary lives of you and me and transforms us, not so much to make us super saved stars or endlessly blissful people, but to make us persons that are gifted, that shine more with radiant hope because Christ is Lord of our lives and leader, not a set of nine practical steps. Thomas Long, as uh, pastor of preaching down in Atlanta, and when he moved there, he tells a story about having joined a local church, and of course, he had to attend the new member class. So the pastor goes around and asks them to introduce themselves and to say 
why have they chosen this particular church? A number of them say, well, the location is perfect for where we live. It's just three minutes down the road and it's so wonderful to be close. And others mentioned the parking. <laughs> Lots of great spaces to get into the church and you don't have to walk out in the rain so much. Others say, oh, it's the music. The music's just beautiful and it, it, it lifts us up on Sunday morning. And then it gets to this one guy who says, for as long as I can remember, I've been a crack addict, a boozer, and a derelict. But through the life of this church, I have found the power of Jesus to turn my life around and that's why I've come to be a member of this church. Thomas Long ventures that they're all sitting around feeling a little sheepish about their parking lot answers. <laughs> and realizing that the church is about salvation. That it is designed to be present to change one life at a time. That people who've been zigzagging through their lives have found the grace to walk a little straighter. That folks who've been pockmarked by nothing but questions and fears may now not get every answer, maybe, but end up with enough hope to keep putting one foot in front of the other. For John, salvation and the announcement of what the church is there to exist for else we should just cut it down and burn it, he says. It must start with an intern, internal job, a repentance worthy of producing fruit that makes for salvation. Because it's then that our rightness with God will able to help us discern and then live out that rightness in front of others. And that, my friends, is what produces joy. It's the joy to the world kind of joy that puts peace on this earth, that makes angels sing and our hearts race with gladness. When John's listeners ask what they should do, he says very simply, you got two coats, share one. If you have enough food in your house, make sure you feed somebody else. And no matter what your work is, whether you're a tax collector or a soldier or anything in between, do that work with the integrity that would never hurt another soul in the process. John doesn't ask us to be something that we're not. He invites us to be responsive in the role that we have with the possessions we share. If the crowd is asked to share their wealth, they aren't asked to do it so that they become the poor and needy. The tax collectors aren't supposed to stop doing their job just to do it fairly in a profession that was corrupt and greedy. Do it so that it benefits the community and the well-being of others. And then he says to the soldiers, quit pushing people around. 
Happiness is helped when you provide them safety and security. In other words, do the right things. That's what God's children do. And happiness comes as a result. And happiness becomes joy. And joy is so much more than just a lovely feeling. Reverend Dr. Chris Bennett says this, joy is grounded in the idea that something is good for someone else. Do you hear that? Joy is grounded in the idea that something is good for someone else. We have joy then, even in our suffering, when we're acting towards someone else's well-being. It's the lasting kind. It's the advent kind. It's the redeeming kind, the saving kind, the kind that keeps the lights on after they're packed away. Austin Shelley is has an article in November's Christian Century. He's a Presbyterian. Presbyterians know their stuff too. (laughs) I don't know how old he is, but he's making a report of his grandmother. Apparently he grew up in his grandparents' home, which happened to be 526 square feet in South Carolina. It was some years back because he remembers his grandfather having control, tight control, of the budget. Everything but the grocery budget. Now, he even was very careful about his tithe. It was $10 a week and a dollar for each grandchild to give in Sunday school. And he says, well, that wasn't a widow's mite. It was not paltry in that day and age in their circumstance. But somehow, Shelley and his grandmother had a little secret they shared. On Saturday, they would get in their faded blue Ford Torino and drive to the red and white grocery store, and she would buy groceries like she was at Noah's Ark, two by two. There would be two bottles of of shampoo, two jars of peanut butter, two bags of flour, two everything two boxes of cereals. It went on and on, and he said checkout was horrible because they'd have to go through mountains of coupons and then divide everything into these heavy paper bags, and as soon as they were done, they would drive to the local food pantry and give exactly half of everything she had bought. Now, she bought his cooperation with a chocolate treat each week. And her rule of two even applied to that. One candy bar for him, one for the food bank. It would speak to him of the values of Thanksgiving, of Christmas, of sustainable joy and peace in this world 
in a way that would keep his story alive to share within him and then with his children and maybe even his grandchildren and great ones. I'd like to ask you this morning, what are you doing to create your joy, to extend the joy of Christ? The soul's joy lies in doing. Or to put it another way, love your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Then you'll understand Advent joy because you'll have it. And it will last you forever. So my friends, go home today to your families, to your neighbors, to your work, to your friends. Stop running and looking for happiness in somebody's research. Stop insisting that God is far away from our nitty-gritty daily particular lives. Do you want real joy? Instead of waiting for a holy someday that will maybe never come. Inhabit the stuff of your life right now as deeply and generously as you can. Share now. Be merciful now. Do justice now. Reach out now. Inhabit your life. No matter how plain or unglorious or routine. Why? Because the holy ground that matters most is the ground beneath your feet right now. And the Holy Spirit is coming to baptize you with fire. The kind that changes the world, that brings you joy. Joy to you, the community, in fact, joy to the world. What are you going to do? Whatever it is. May it be given to you by Christ and cause within you a joy that you can't even put into words. Amen.